everyone. Welcome back to an all new edition of the 20% podcast, the podcast that brings you tips and tricks from industry professionals across all industries that you can implement in your current job today. I'm your host, Tyler Meckis. First, I can't believe that it's episode 90. And this week's guest is the sales rapper, Ding Zhang. Ding studied history at Boston College prior to eventually making his way into sales. Being bilingual propelled him to a 150% lifetime quota at Yelp, where he was also an elite account executive. Now, Ding is the sales rapper where he helps B2B and e-commerce brands stand out via intensely original content. So original that he actually did a 20% podcast freestyle that you'll hear shortly towards the end of the episode. And as a note, this is 100% authentic done in real time and there was no collaboration prior to it. In this week's episode, besides the 20% podcast freestyle, we discussed how he became the sales rapper, the benefits of being bilingual, being two steps ahead, putting yourself out there, how to freestyle rap, and much more. Please enjoy this week's episode with the sales rapper, Ding Zhang. Ding, welcome to the show. How's it going, Tyler? I am very excited. For those who don't know, Ding is the sales rapper. First and foremost, Ding, I know a lot of the time we, we jump into uh, to the background and the history of guests. But first and foremost, why the sales rapper? Short answer, I've been rapping for 15 years. I've been in B2B sales revenue marketing for around four and a half. So it was the convergence of my two biggest passions in life. And to create something where in the past, I obviously failed as a rapper, did not have a successful music career. So this is a way to allow me to continue tapping into my creative passions while also being able to deliver positive business outcomes for my clients. That's so fantastic. And I know we were just talking about this previous, previously, if I could even speak. Um, I mentioned that I'm writing a book, All Roads Lead to Sales, how sales skills are the foundation to a successful life. And I'm all about the transferability of skills. And I love the fact that you, I don't want to say, I love the fact that you failed, but I love that you overcame that. And, and it wasn't something that you, you could have easily said, I don't want to rap anymore. Um, but I'm really excited to dive into that later on in the interview. So, so Ding, and also want to share with everyone, we were just talking about this before. Ding is going to do a rap uh, and a freestyle rap at the end of this podcast. So make sure that you stick around till the end. I know that we're going to put some amazing content in here. In the meantime, I know you got, got a little bit of a little background noise there as well. Uh, so, Again, Ding, again, welcome to the show. And I would love to dive in first. Who was Ding as a child? What were you like? And, and what did you want to do with your career? Let's just start early Ding. Sure. So early Ding was, so I come from an immigrant background. My parents were first generation. So growing up in the States, I was born in the U.S., moved to China immediately, was raised by my grandparents for uh, until I was four, and then I came to the U.S., entered school, didn't speak a lick of English. So that's, that's kind of the background I'm coming from, and throughout my life, I've always found comfort and uh, inspiration in creative endeavors. It was something that, that I could do by myself. Uh, you know, with that language barrier early on, uh, getting picked on by other kids, it was something, hey, I could, you know, go draw a picture and feel good. So that was, uh, so from a very early age, I had that creative seed implanted in me uh, from experiences and throughout the years, you know, doing talent shows, being in band, uh, working on music uh, until I was about very, very young. So like, let's say 10, 11 years old or so. Uh, and was listening to a lot of, uh, got introduced to Lil Wayne on the internet, okay. right? I was on MySpace, you know, everyone was posting their favorite songs on their profiles. Uh, and it was an interesting time, right? Because this was during the age of CDs. We didn't have Spotify. Uh, there wasn't streaming services. So if you liked a genre of music, you actually had to go out and 
study it and find resources, you know, get double XL magazine and buy these CDs or, or at that time it was now load the MP3s onto your iPod. Yep. Right. But there was still that exterior go seek it factor that nowadays it's more discovery. Spotify pushes you the algorithm. You get on rap caviar, you hear the stuff. So have that timing of, there was just enough internet that I could go out by myself and learn all this stuff. I didn't have to live in New York or uh, live in LA to make the music, right? Uh, and, and also combined with just a, a very young age interest. That's how I got started. Yeah, that, that's so fantastic. And I want to dive back even to, you know, obviously you mentioned there was the language barrier. And first and foremost, creativity and, and being creative in the arts is one of the most incredible things is that there is no language barrier there. So I'd love to hear that you had that that artsy and that creative just by nature of just being born while well, you're born in the U.S., but living back and forth. Yeah. That probably set you up for, for great success later on. Now, being the being the child of an immigrant, what kind of lessons in what kind of lessons did you learn from your parents? And I know that in, in a lot of the immigrant stories, a lot of folks want their child to go be a, a doctor or a lawyer. Did you have any of those preconceived things as well growing up? Absolutely. So I will I will say you know I'm not super close with my family. There was uh, some some negative aspects of that familiar relationship. So I, it's not something I love to talk about too deeply, but you brought up a really interesting point about the immigrant experience uh, pertaining to certain expectations of profession, right? So the doctor, the lawyer, the engineer, and uh, growing up, it was very much, I actually went to a math and science high school, believe it or not, uh, Illinois Math and Science Academy, flunked out after a year, realized STEM was not for me. But uh, so, so during that entire time where I was coming up, through my formative years and dabbling with music, getting my own recording set up. And I was starting on YouTube as early as back in 20, 2009, 2010 or so, uh, because just the way technology was at that time, I was of a young enough age, very open to all of this, watching the Ryan Higas and the Kev Jumbas of the world. Folks that, you know, there's a big Asian on YouTube trend back in the late aughts. So just seen for the first time in Western society, English speaking people that look like me uh, was that motivational fact, which, so that led me to wanting to become a creator and making videos and music. And from the family's point of view, you know, definitely not something that was supported, actively frowned upon uh, and a lot of discouragement on that end, right? So definitely my vision of a creative endeavor did not comport with the immigrant kind of mentality of, hey, get these safe corporate jobs. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so for those who may, you know, may be in a similar position, what's your best piece of advice for maybe if you're not doing the same thing that your parents may have wanted or liked at that point? The, my piece of advice is at the end of the day, you have agency over your own life, right? And you, you can only live for yourself. You can't live for someone else's expectations of you. And the longer you... You cannot rec reconcile those two. The worse that one, that relationship is going to be, uh, right? And this speaking from experience. Uh, and and two, the more unhappy you will be because trying to force yourself, you know, a square peg into a round hole, right? You're you're just cutting you're cutting your own flesh off, uh, right? And and it's it's also hard to to live up to a, an expectation when it doesn't match what your own goals and ideals of what your life should be, right? So I, I think it's very important to figure out and do a lot of different things to understand what your passion, your goals in life are, and then optimize for that. 
Yeah, that is, that's so fantastic, Dig. Thank you so much for that. And I, I know that that's going to help a lot of people as well because there are other people in those same situations, and I know that that, that will help. So, okay, so, so you're growing up, you, you're bilingual, right? You, you, started to, you, know, you started to become active on YouTube. You see these mentors in your life. Tell me a little bit more about, you know, obviously you went to, to, the, um, to the STEM high school. That didn't necessarily work out. Did you have any any major jobs at this point, or or what what did what did the working situation look like as you were going up before you went to to Boston College? Yeah, so I'll say I I never really worked like a, a part time job or anything in high school growing up. I did help out, you know, family business. So my parents owned some restaurants uh, in that Illinois area, southeastern, like close to Indiana. So think, yeah, you know, there's another bit of context. Is uh, I grew up in a in a predominantly white town, Bible Belt, around 9,000 folks. So very small town, you know, middle uh, rural area. So, so I, you know, I didn't really look a lot of, uh, like my peers growing up. And, uh, but from a work experience standpoint, you know, I've cleaned dishes in the back. I've waited tables, you know, did, done some of the, the food prep in the kitchen. So that, that gave me that foundation of knowing, hey, uh, this is what physical labor looks like, you know, I, and I realized that I was fortunate and privileged enough in my life that I could go to college and, and be okay and, and have different opportunities. So that paved the foundation for me to say, hey, I don't necessarily want to work in restaurants my whole life, right, and and step out. So that was actually one initial reason, uh, you know, I, well, I didn't go into music full-time because I, I knew uh, from myself going into school and having struggled to get shows in Boston, get fans and sell merch that it wasn't necessarily a viable financial path. And, and also understanding that, you know, I'd have to feed myself somehow. So having that work experience in the past actually could have contributed to me uh, when I was graduating school, setting down the mic and going more into the corporate side of things. Uh, yeah, that's fantastic. So, so let's talk a little bit more. Obviously you had a lot of experience. I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, the restaurant industry uh, serves so many ways uh, to help in your business, whether, it, you know, just, just having a variety of experience and, and learning how to work hard and working with customers. There's, yeah. there's so many things to, to, to work there, but I want to talk more about the, the, the music side of things there. You mentioned, you know, going out, selling merch. What did, what did your music experience look like as you were getting ready for that transition from high school to college? Sure. So it was always something that I just did. It was a hobby, but it, it took up a lot of my time. I was trying to quote unquote, make it. But until I entered the workforce and got some, you know, more hands-on touches with having business acumen, getting experiences, understanding how a company operates, I didn't really see myself as a business, right? When I was just trying to make it as a rapper, uh, there's that mentality. Hey, let me grind. Let me make some mixtapes, collab with people, get shows. But there was never a systematized process uh, and with accurate goals and benchmarks of how I'm going to get from point A to point B. What does point B look like? It was just plod forward every single day without a clear vision. And what's the importance, obviously, you know, and maybe maybe not having that clear vision could have been the reason why you mentioned that you were a quote unquote failed rapper, right? What's the importance of having a vision or at least a North Star that you're going to to help try to avoid that failure? Certainly. So Tyler, it's a uh, very similar to how we do sales, right? When you first enter a new org, you have to ramp up. You got to learn the market, the buyers, your, your value prop, what problems you're solving for. And I think that's the foundation of every business is you, you have to know those things. So without a vision and clear 
planning and understanding your business, it's very hard to go out and not only seek positive business outcomes, but even know what things are positive business outcomes for you. Right. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That that's so fantastic. So, okay. So you have this wrapping experience. You mentioned a little bit of the business acumen. Where did you, where did you ultimately get that urge of saying, I like business? So here's where my story kind of converges, right? So I, I had a, a you know, realized STEM was not for me. I had a tough stint with music the first go around where it didn't really work out. So I had a lot of factors in my life where, you know, there was not evidence of success, right? So I, and as humans, we're typically wired to enjoy things that we're good at. So when I first entered Yelp, you know, one thing that really helped me was, first of all, that I think, you know, Yelp gets, uh, some criticism from, from, but there's no doubt that their training program for salespeople is fantastic. Uh, you know, if you go to Yelp, you really learn how to, how to make calls, get on the phone, overcome that fear and, and keep swinging the bat, uh, you know, and not, uh, decrease your output. So in that environment, I, you know, with the previous experience in restaurants, uh, growing up made me realize, Hey, you know, this type of working hard is still a lot better than being on your feet all day, moving around a kitchen. Right. So, th so that I was the guy, you know, no, always stayed late at the office, made more calls than everyone. And then an interesting thing happened at Yelp was that a large number of Chinese speaking SMBs, uh, mid-market enterprise business, international business would come inbound to Yelp. And then they wouldn't have anyone internally that could really have those conversations. Uh, or maybe they did and they got promoted into another team. So now there are a lot of gaps for translators at Yelp. So then what that allowed me to do was build an internal business process, essentially. You know, my title was still AE, but I was working with channel partners, the inbound teams or community partners with the Yelp elites, uh, organizing a bunch of events and closing closing large SaaS deals for Yelp uh, to Chinese speaking clients, which really helped me level up and in, in experience and talk to uh, buyers, you know, at levels that a 22 year old most likely would never be able to to get to. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's so fantastic. And you would have never thought when you were, you know, just, you know, moving back and forth, knowing where, you, where that was going to help you having that bilingual skill is, I mean, is a game changer. And it sounds like that allowed you to have a lot of those, you know, conversations punching above your weight class, I guess. Right. And I, I have no doubt that that helped you get, get comfortable with being uncomfortable and working with some of those other bigger clients. But before we dive in a little bit more on the Yelp side of things, I saw that you went to Boston college and studied history. Why, why history? Sure. A quick answer. I was pre-law because I, I knew I wasn't going to go be a doctor or, in, you know, I could, I'm no good when I sit in front and look at code. You know, that's not my, the way my brain is wired. I have no doubt if I put my mind to it, I could do it, but I don't get any joy out of it. Right. It's a slog for me. So law was something that actually, I was a big fan of the show suits growing up. And you know, uh, what's his name? Har uh, Harvey, Harvey Dent. No, that's the Batman guy. <laughs> um, something, uh, Harvey Specter. Harvey, yeah. Shout out to Suits. So, so you know, I had in my mind, hey, that's, that's going to be. And then in college, I had the opportunity to intern at a boutique firm in Seattle where, again, because of my bilingual ability, I was able to go in and, you know, help translate client intake conversations and documents. So, so I got a little peek into the legal side of things. Hey, I can maybe do this. Uh, it's, it's not too terrible. Didn't realize what big law entailed until, you know, a couple years later. Now I have friends who just graduated 
you know, law school and now they're going into big law uh, and they're working 100 hour weeks. But anyways, uh, to my point, I study history at BC. History's long been a favorite subject of mine in school. I think, you know, the saying goes, those who don't learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. So that was a, a big factor from my cu curiosity standpoint, but also from a practical application, a history major does a lot of reading and writing. And what does that help with? Comprehension and communication. So that's why the history major. Yes, oh, that, that is so fantastic. And, and that, that was going to be my next question of besides those two areas, how has history helped you in your sales career and even your rapping as well? Certainly. So I will say this, it's not even necessarily how did my history major help my rapping. It's how my rapping helped my history major. Uh, because one thing I realized growing up being a nerd of hip hop and, and learning all the legends and the history of the genre uh, allowed me to actually tap into that curiosity during history and, and understanding research and fact checking and cross referencing multiple sources uh, to you know get a single point of truth and you know how it. It also helped from a perspective where for my senior year symposium, so rather than writing a thesis, I was given a special project to make two rap songs about history. And uh, so, so my topic of study was Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher and that relationship uh, you know, during the 80s. So I ended up making two songs uh, about Reagan and Thatcher. And that's my legacy. It still gets played by, I think the professor retired, but uh, for a year or two afterwards, he would start his... Uh, class off with those songs. Wow, that's amazing. And and to your point, and I love, you know, I'm all about the transferability of skills. And and there are so many different things, you know, like fact checking, being able to read and comprehend and write and getting in and, and from a sales perspective, getting to that single point of truth and being able to cross reference different areas. That's the same exact way that you need to multi thread to different areas yes. to get a really good hypothesis on what that pain could potentially be. And, and obviously using the word hypothesis, right, is science term. You know, I studied exercise science in college. The point being is that every single thing that we do, it's going to come back and help us, right? Yes. Well, I think, I think it's, it's, it's a mentality thing. It's uh, every, every single thing that you do could help you. It depends on how you look at it and extrapolate from it. Yeah. Oh, that, that's so fantastic. Now, now the, the million dollar question that I ask a lot of, a lot of folks as well, who are doing something that they didn't study, would you, if you had to go back and do it again, would you go to college? What are your thoughts on college and in, in trying to, um, if somebody would potentially like to go into sales, you think people need a college degree or do you think you like, what are your thoughts on that whole process? Absolutely not. You don't need a college degree. I know, you know, many, many very successful sales people and sales leaders that, uh, did not, go to college or I don't have a degree at the same time, you know, I was privileged enough to be able to go to school and not really graduate with a lot of debt. So, you know, if that's the case for you and you're fortunate in that situation, go to college. It's fun. You know, you go, you have four years, you, you get to, uh, without a lot of the same pressures and pains that you would have, you know, in regular work life, right. Uh, where you can go be curious and learn. And, and I'll say this college is what you make of it. So I was fortunate to have gone to a school like Boston college where my classmates were all exceptional, uh, you know, coming from great backgrounds. Right. So through that, I have a very strong network of 
folks that I've met through college. And, uh, and that's a time where it's a little more innocent than being in the real world, right? Not every, not every encounter interaction is, hey, what can I get out of this? What can you do for me? Type of thing where that often might be the case. Now, I don't agree that that's the right way we should operate in business, but it's, you know, you run into a lot of more of that in business than you would in that school academic environment. So I, I think it's if you can afford it and you know, you're in a position to be able to go to college, I don't see the harm in it. Uh, and and people want to say, hey, you can't you can get a job without a degree and all that. I, and I will say this. It makes it a lot easier when you have that school by your name. It makes it a lot easier, especially just getting started. Right. Everybody wants, yeah. you know, you look at all these these um these job descriptions and they're all like, oh, you need this much experience or that much experience. If you have that college check mark, that's going, you know, for get better or worse. I think things are going to start changing in the near future. Or at least it seems like there's a little bit of a shift into the maybe college isn't necessary for this, but I really yeah. think that that's at least the, the way to help you kick down. The I think floor. the way, the way it looks is, you know, maybe what you study in your major is not going to help you get a job, but, but guess what? You know, if you're going into a, into finance and you know your uh, your roommate's dad is like you know an MD somewhere, right? You're probably gonna get that interview over the person who applied through the ATS. And where you're coming from there is just building those relationships. And looking back, you know, on my six years of college, I wish that I would have done a better job networking. You know, obviously you you have the the social connections that you build over time, but how do you you know? I wish I would have done a better job of shoring some of that up to help later on in, in um now. But that's here nor there and it's yeah it's tough right because one we can't live backwards and the other thing is at that age you know i was lucky because i had a lot of good friends uh who in in an environment that made that easy right where uh not everyone's you know in a position where like you know how to network properly or or how to to form those meaningful relationships at that age you know my, my first year of college i spent partying and you know, drinking and doing all types of BS, right? Not using my, not going to class, not do, not using my time properly. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that there's probably a lot of lessons there as well. But if you didn't have that experience, then you wouldn't be the same exact person that you are today. Because I'm sure there was some hard lessons that you learned in there as you were moving forward. Now, let's just touch quickly on the legal internship at Lee and Lee. What, what was the biggest lesson that you had there in in that legal internship that that set you up to to help in your sales career later on? That's great, Tyler. So what I learned at the law firm was really seeing how my managing partner sold. And it didn't look like, hey, let me go knock on doors and calls. It was long term. It was, it was awareness. So he hosted a lot of dinner events uh, and, and to get in front of his ICP, right, the, which were EB-5 investment immigration uh, investors. Right, so people who are looking for visas, looking to invest in development projects in the area, uh, and there's a lot of at that time there was a lot of money and people coming from China over into the U.S. Right, which is where my translation skills were valuable at the time. So with that role, what I learned was uh, even though I went into work the workforce out of college to do sales, it always held I've always held that marketing was you know equally important I know there's there's a lot of popularity out there you know for from a revenue side of things like oh sales you know brings home the bacon we keep the lights on and whatnot but you know uh, uh, Tyler I, I don't know if you've, you've sold for companies with bad marketing in the past you know it makes the, it makes the job a lot a lot easier when it, it is an organization like Dooley with 
great marketing and everyone knows the brand, right? You know what though? It's just from a, an awareness perspective, right? I mean, like every, I, I haven't talked to anybody who, who knows of the Dooley brand who says, oh, wow, that's bad. And that's just all incredible marketers. And I know, you know, the team, Mark, Camille, Sam, you know, I, I, I don't, don't hate on anybody else that I didn't bring in there. Um, but like, just to be able to have that awareness kicks the door wide open. It, then you just need to convert from awareness to buyer instead of yeah. not unaware to buying it, it, it marketing. And I'll say, and I'll say this, right. While I was at Yelp, I thought, Hey, we, you know, the marketing's not cause, cause the marketing wasn't bringing, let's say like leads to me, yep. you know, every single day. So I'm like, Oh, like, you know, I'm a sales guy. I'm blaming marketing. And then once I've had more experience selling for, you know, one smaller companies or less, lesser known products, it was like, Oh, what is this? Now I'm, I have to sell you on the conversation. Right. Cause I was full, I was full cycle at Yelp. Cause guess what? They had enough of a brand. You, uh, you don't need the SDRs to like, necessarily uh especially the smb level right like it's not necessary uh but you know selling for some other folks it was i realized that hey you know not everyone knows even this category or or what this thing is and i'm sure you know from the startup side that's the entire sales conversation is you know the the most of the battle is up front uh to even source that convo and especially as i transition to my agency business one thing that, you know, nowadays it's a little different because, you know, I'm in this space, a lot of it's inbound. There's, I think there's decent brand awareness of myself now. Uh, but when I first got started, you know, I can call someone up and be like, hey, this is Ding from Yelp. And, and, and so that, that was something that, uh, you know, the importance of marketing, it's not just like our leads coming in. It's when you outbound or when you post on social, you know, to drive inbound towards you specifically as an IC, do people know the company? Like if it's, a completely irrelevant thing, then you might not get as much uh, interest, even from a LinkedIn post, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, I think that ties pretty nicely into, you know, if you don't have that company brand, if you're at a smaller company, you need to help build that personal brand. We'll jump into that a little bit. But um, so I want to talk a little bit more about Yelp now, because I think that we have some pretty common experiences. And I'd love your 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 input on this topic as well. So obviously, you were at Yelp, full cycle account rep, uh, full cycle rep, working at a big company, you mentioned that you love the training and development that you got at Yelp. I was very similar with that. I worked for an IT reseller. I was a full cycle rep. Um, so it was the SDR work to the customer success and getting renewals yep. and doing all this <laughs> stuff. And they had a really incredible onboarding process and just building my foundation of sales. Looking back now, I'd love the smaller, that was a big company, a $2 billion revenue company. Um, now I'm working for Dooley, which is more, you know, we're operating closer to a startup than, than that. Yeah. I love the startup side of things more just from the simple perspective of being able to, to use that entrepreneurial spirit and trying to help. But, you know, going backward, if you were to, to restart your sales career, would you work for a big company so that you could get that good training and development before you went into a smaller company? Or, or what are your thoughts on that? It depends. I've... I personally know folks that have done both and, you know, I think it's, it's, it's more on the individual, I think, but, but, uh, I will say, you know, in that more corporate environment, because they're, it's not good that you're just a number, but it's also good that you're just a number because, you know, you kind of fall in line and you do the same things, the same trainings that everyone else does. You might roll your eyes, you know, there might be someone, you know, that's, that's a class clown, right. In, in that segment, but you know, there's that sense of we're all in this th together and this is something that's been invested in. Uh, they're doing this at scale. So, so there's less hiccups. I th whereas I think with, 
you know, a more startup environment. There's great startups like Dooley. There's and there's bad ones out there too, right? There's ones with great sales culture and training and teams, and there's ones that haven't really figured out their product market fit yet. So, with that in mind, if you were starting your sales career and, and to get thrown in the fire, I think you might grow quickly, but you might also burn up. Interesting. I love that perspective. I, I wouldn't change my, I mean, in anything that I've done, and I'm sure you probably agree with this as well, as well, even studying history and having the failures, overcoming adversity, I'm sure that you wouldn't change your path. I know that I personally wouldn't, but I would highly recommend working at a company, at a, a large company that does have that good onboarding and training if you're just starting off in sales. Um, there are a and, lot and of other- a quick, a, a quick other tie-in to that. I think the, the two other things you learned working at a large company is one, organizational structure and two, company politics, which are, you know, good or bad are just fundamental parts of human working experience, right? And I think to to be able to do that in a larger organization where there are more, let's say, oversights and, uh, you know, protections, if you will, uh, for, you know, and I want to say, you know, the, the HR is definitely working for the company, not for the, the people, but there's also, from an optics standpoint, you know, it's harder to brush something under the rug once it gets past a certain point, right? So I haven't had any of those experiences personally, but I have seen that happen to others. Uh, and I will say that, you know, they they ended up a little better at the bigger companies than the smaller companies. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that feedback. And, and politics is something that you have to deal with uh, almost at every single company. And um, and also the structure was a really good point as well, because, you know, thinking about it, obviously just being a snot-nosed college kid, you don't know how businesses yeah. are structured or organized. So making yeah. sure like you, you don't even know like what department this department does that this department does that. Right. Cause at an early stage, you know, like for me right now, the agency, right. You know, I'm my finance team, I'm my sales team, I'm my marketing team. Right. And the only employees I have are other creatives. So, you know, if I didn't go through Yelp, I wouldn't know like, Hey, as I scale up, here's what we need to invest in. Here's the blockers of growth, you know? Yeah, that's fantastic. So let's let's jump into to the sales wrapper now. So you were at Yelp for a little bit, and then obviously you had a, a stint at Smart Asset as well. But let's dive in. When, when did you say like I'm gonna go full speed ahead at this sales wrapper thing? Why did where did that origin story come from? Sure. So uh, it's funny you, you mentioned like any points that you know I would have done differently. So I might have stayed at Yelp a little longer uh, if you know I had I, in retrospect. But uh, you know at, at the time. Uh, you know, I decided to have a change of scenery, started a new job three days before the pandemic, which oh, wow. was tough. So, you know, it wasn't able to, to ramp properly. And I think there were, there are elements of, you know, I was also isolated in, new, in a small New York apartment. So, you know, I wasn't also feeling the best. So I don't want to say, hey, it was entirely company's fault. But, uh, you know, just not ideal situation all around. I was quickly unemployed. And it was at that time that I didn't go into the sales rap thing expecting, hey, let me build a creative agency. Uh, it, it started as, hey, let me build a brand for myself because I'm on LinkedIn looking for jobs and I'm seeing people like Josh Brown get a thousand likes on their posts, right? And, 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 I'm, and I'm realizing, hey, I was doing this on YouTube 10 years ago, 10 years prior to all the you know LinkedIn content creation and whatnot. I've been in countless videos, know how to edit, know how to pace, know how to to stick to a content schedule and all that. So let me try my hand at this. And in my mind, I was also thinking, hey, this pandemic's kind of tough right now. I don't know if I want to be a sales rep right now. You know, so I was thinking, hey, I have some marketing ability. How do I pivot into a marketing role? 
so it wasn't even how do I build my own business at the time. So let me build a brand for Ding so I can get in front of hiring managers because it was October of 2020 and ATSs were just rejected every single resume. Wow, that, that is so phenomenal. I love the origin story of that as well because you were going out there and you had those intentions of I want to build a brand for myself and then something miraculously came from it. But you would not have had that experience if you didn't just go and start doing something. It's very similar yeah. with this podcast. I had, you know, pandemic started and I was doing some podcasting for my company at the time and had the, had the equipment at my house. I'm like, you know what? I, I have this equipment. There's literally zero barrier of entry besides I don't know what I'm doing. So I figured it out. And now looking back, it's 85, almost 90 episodes done. Um, building incredible relationships and having conversations with folks like yourself, who I would have never probably been talking to, but didn't go out there and actually just put yourself out there. Um, yeah. What's your biggest piece of advice for somebody who may be a little hesitant to put themselves out there? Because obviously, you know, rapping out in front of somebody, not everybody <laughs> needs to be a rapper. Yeah. But like, it's really intimidating to go out there and do something and, and put yourself out there. What's your advice around that? Start small. A lot of people overthink things. They overcomplicate the process. And the biggest takeaway from doing this for 15 years now is that you don't know what to improve. You don't know what parts are working and aren't working until you do something, right? So, it's, so you can never get to perfection without having taken the first step. And and the, the direction, you know, once you start uh, – think of it like car navigation, Right. Let's let's say your signal is bad because at the start, you know, you have bad connection to the GPS because uh, you don't really know your way around. But if you stay at home, you never leave the house. You no, know, you're not going to get anywhere. If you go out and start driving. Yeah, sure. You might go. You might go the wrong way, but then you might you might also get closer. And when you go the wrong way, GPS every five, ten minutes, be like, hey, Tyler, ding, you're you know off track here. Turn left. And then now, you know, to turn left and, and having that action. When it's when your days are filled with action versus analyzation, right? Analyzing is analysis paralysis. I think is once you start and and then you're just caught up in the thick of it and snap, it might be two years and now you're doing something completely different. Right, that's amazing. And and two, one of the biggest things as well is like you know I'm on paternity leave right now. I don't know if you know that or not. We just had a, a our second child a couple. Uh, two oh, congrats! Weeks ago. Wow, um, thank you, thank you, man. So gotta hit hit him with the. Oh, I love it. <laughs> So, um, so what, and, and this, that's another fun example right there of, of Ding mentioned before that he makes sales calls fun. So adding in that little differentiator and that difference is, is really key. But, um, back to that, back to my point of, you know, I'm on paternity leave right now. Like I, I still think about work here and there, but I'm not actually hands-on doing anything. So I think that that's a huge lesson to be able to take a step back and really analyze the battlefield, I guess, or, or, or what, where exactly you're going so that when you dive back in, you could be really strategic. What do you, what's the importance of, of being able to take a step back and really analyze things without just keeping your head in the weeds all the time? I have a bit of a non-traditional answer to that. And I think, uh, and I do this as well. The common wisdom is time block, right? You know, be religiously strict with your schedule and your your time so you know set aside the two hours there hey all i'm going to do is focus on new services that we're offering hey all i'm going to do here is update uh the accounting software or or, or run uh invoices right uh just just so stuff gets done uh and and, and also from a strategic plan standpoint what i like to do is 
I have a lot of conversations with folks that are a step or two ahead of me. Uh, and, and I kind of crowdsource, you know, my, the, the best direction is that what I found is I might not be the best source of, uh, planning or analysis for myself. Right. And, uh, because I've been fortunate to grow a brand and develop a nice community, you know, there's a lot of folks in my corner that, you know, I'm, Gonna, I'm trying my utmost to bring them value as well, right? Like setting them up with audio equipment and, and teaching them certain like tricks of my trade. Uh, but at the same time, you know, not having, I guess, a, just a singular perspective or work rate for uh, the analysis and strategy element of it. So like, I, you know, I pay for consulting. I, I work with some good folks on uh, different parts of the business all the time. Wow, that's amazing. And what's your biggest lesson of, uh, I don't know if you're a one-man band yet or not with, with your job, but you mentioned before that you're, you know, you have to be the finance person. You have to be the marketing. You have to be the sales. You need to be everything. What's your biggest piece of advice for somebody who is a one-man or one-woman band with trying to um, uh, juggle all of the different responsibilities of being a business owner? It depends. Is this, is your goal to grow quickly and, and you know, scale? Or is your goal to have more of a lifestyle business and control your work, you know, and have the autonomy where you own your job, your job doesn't own you, right? And, and for, the, for the former, I would say focus on revenue generating activities, flush the coffers with cash, and then go out and hire people. And then for the second part, I would say start from, and, and I kind of, I'm doing a bit of both right now, is early on, it was very much, hey, you know, I've, I've done the uh, you know, 80 hour work weeks, traveling field rep, you know, selling software in the field, literally going door to door with an iPad, you know, so at Yelp at one point, uh, one week in New York, one week in my territory type of deal. Right. So, so in my mind, okay, like I want more control over my own schedule and activities. So let me work for myself, dictate my schedule. I'm also a bit of a night owl. I get my best work done at night. Uh, so sometimes, you know, I'm not as productive at 7am in the morning. Uh, so, you know, being able to structure my day the way that I uh, prefer to work, you know, that's those. So those are different things. But but yeah, again, to answer the question, if you're looking to grow quickly and scale up, focus on getting money. Just you know, get get that bag, secure that bag, go out and, and go out and hire the best people to help you grow. Yeah, and that's amazing. And it sounds when you're talking, I just hear that you seem like you're very very self aware of knowing what you need to do or, or what those thoughts are. And I know that um, Morgan J. Ingram, one of our, uh, one of my good friends, I, I'm sure yeah, you're probably close with Morgan as well. You know, he's very, very self-aware. I think that's probably one of the biggest skills that, that I know that Morgan has. And he takes a lot of time to do a lot of that inner work and that, that um, a lot of that stuff to make sure that he is in that optimal shape and knowing what he needs to do. Do you have any, any, you know, what's your thoughts on, on doing inner work for yourself? Do you have any common practices that you do or any self-awareness activities that help you to stay at the top of your game? Sure. I think it's, so I work a lot more than is recommended by, by folks. Right. But, but it, it I, th I think it's important to make your work enjoyable uh, in, in that sense. So it doesn't consume and then being able to have the awareness to step away when it becomes a bit too much. Uh I think one reason I've been able to make music for this long without tiring of it is I've always paced myself. I, I've known folks that have dropped three albums in one year and then they wouldn't do music for two years after that because, you know, they invested so much time, money, and energy into it. 
know, maybe didn't get the outcome they were looking for. Uh, and that's a huge blow to motivation. So for me, it's, it's about maintaining good sleep, uh, you know, quality rest and recovery. My diet is generally pretty on point. Uh, you know, I try to work out full body three times, you know, hitting major muscle groups at least twice a week for maximum hypertrophy is, you know, I'm sure you would, uh, speaking my love language. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man. Oh, that, that's so fantastic. And I, wow, hypertrophy. I haven't heard that word in a long time. And that that's a big, obviously, exercise science term. Um, so yeah. that, that takes it back. Um, that's that's so amazing, man. So now I would I want to dive in um, a little bit more now on, you know, being creative during sales calls, right? Sometimes B2B could be boring. And I know that one of the biggest things, and I hear, I hear you clicking, I hear you getting ready for this. So I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you obviously help B2B and e-commerce brands stand out by intensely original content and making things fun. Why, how do you make B2B fun? B2B is boring. So I'm going to challenge that. I don't know if B2B is inherently boring or do we just think that because it's B2B, it has to be boring because the, the fundamental aspect of this in B2B, Tyler, who do we sell to? It's humans, man. It's human, yeah, human, human to human, right? So, uh, and we're seeing that change, right? Is, is now we have companies like Gong that are paying for and click up, you know, that are Super Bowl commercials, right? These are B2B tools. Uh, the average person eating pizza and sipping Mountain Dew on their couch watching the uh, Super Bowl, you know, probably not going to be, uh, you know. What the hell is this Gong why, thing? Yeah, what is this, right? Uh, why, why does this corporate bro looking dude in 2021? <laughs> <laughs> I might have to cut that part. Uh, shout out to Ross, good homie. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, what, uh, B2B and fun. I think the idea is that, and I see this happen a lot with folks who are newer in the game is that I've typically found the more senior you get, the more casual and relaxed and human people sound. Right. And, and when I first entered Yelp, which is like a huge company, right? It's like pretty corporate. Uh, even though there wasn't a dress code, like put on a, a suit and show up to work, there was still that you know, decorum type of thing. Hey, you know, you're on your toes, best behavior, you know, VP might be around the corner type deal, right? Yep. Um, so, so I think with, with that, it's really getting over your perceived conception of how should you be like in B2B, but rather focusing on who we're looking to help, which is humans, right? We're, we're offering solutions to people's problems. Uh, and I think the best way to do that is communicate in a way that is, more lighthearted and fun, engaging, and not taking yourself too seriously all the time. Yeah, and there's way too many people. Um, and I know you mentioned it sounded like uh, there was some, um, you know, uh, like some mental health things that you may have been going through being isolated in, um, you know, during the COVID times. Um, but really, I mean, B2B, and I don't think, by the way, I don't think B2B is boring. I, I just use that as the example because yeah. we. Well, so I, I will say this, right? In, in essence, it might not be like inherently boring, but in practice, oh, absolutely. Right. All the, the, you know, the stale webinars and, and here's our ebook and, you know, give us your lead capture for this white paper. I, I understand it. I don't get me wrong. I understand lead generation, why it's important, right? Just as a marketer, as a marketing agency, like attribution, something that, you know, I deal with all the time, but, uh, from, from a, like, you know, this kind of Sandler of me, right? But like, hey, how do we actually help, you know, in the best way? It's like, how do we remove the most amount of friction from the buying process? I think being stodgy and buttoned up and, and uptight, you know, that's a that's buying friction right there. 100%. 100%. It's part of, it's one of our biggest duties as sales reps and sales professionals to make that person comfortable and get, and get that 
shoulder sit down in the call. You don't yeah. want somebody to be up and up and all anxious, right? We yeah. need to, to make them fun, make that engaging. And um, obviously you found a really cool way to do that. So, so overall, what was the biggest lesson or, or what was your, your favorite win so far of being the sales rapper before we get into our live experience of ding, doing a 20% podcast re- uh, freestyle, which I can't be, I couldn't be more hum- pumped about. Yeah, absolutely. So the biggest takeaway I've had throughout this process was from a, so let's break this down from a tangible perspective and a mental learnings perspective. So the tangible part is now I have my own business, you know, we're projected to do decently this year for, for being in you know, year 1.5 uh, and, I'm, and I'm hiring now as we continue to grow. Congratulations, so, man. That's a big, that's a big deal when you're working with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, it's still, it's still mostly contractors, but you know, the fact that I'm able to go out and pay creators, you know, that were in my, you know, five, four or five years ago when I was quitting music, uh, trying to go into sales, right. That was my experience. Hey, I had to give up something that I love because it wasn't paying the bills. And now to be able to turn around and have a business that's, uh, one generating, you know, creative, fun, positive business outcomes for our clients, but also able to put money back in the pockets of creators, allowing them to tap into their hobbies and being able to to profit off of that, right? It's something, and, and they get that, uh, the motivation like, hey, you know, this is something that I can do that that can be viable. And the goal is to do that for as many people as we can. Dude, that's fantastic. And, and again, congratulations on that. It doesn't matter if it's just a contractor. You are You were able to take that business acumen that you learned and learning that corporate structure and knowing what you needed to do next from a prioritization standpoint in the Yelp days, and now you're incorporating that into, into your day-to-day as well. So that's so fantastic. I love, 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 love the transferability of skills and how you were doing that as well. So, all right, now I am so excited. I actually just typed out a couple words here that I Let's would go. love to have you jump into and do a freestyle on. So it's, it's pretty much just about what some of my, you know, things that we talked about. Um, I don't want to give away any of those. And again, for everybody listening, Ding only told me, Type in a couple words. I don't want them. I want them towards the end of the show so that I could go and make a freestyle rap. So I'm going to, how many words is six, is six like phrases. Good. Is that, is that a fair amount for you? Usually I'm doing this in front of teams and they're like, I'm getting like a hundred words. Oh, okay. Well, let's make it easy for you then. So based upon everything that you know about me, about this conversation, a lot of these words are obviously going to be pretty close to what, yeah. I, what we're doing here. So I'm just going to put them into the chat and I will link them into the show notes as well so that you could see that. So I'll give you a couple seconds here and let's, let's go after it. So what, tell everybody. Cool, what Tyler. To do. So welcome y'all. Hey, LinkedIn. This is the freestyle segment with the sales rapper. We're on the 20% podcast with Tyler Mackey's here and we're going to do a freestyle live. Tyler's going to throw some words, throw some words in the, the zoom chat and to prove that it's not premeditated. I want Tyler to pick the beat that I'm going to rap on right now. Okay. All right, so I I feel like we need to do some kind of Dr. Dre or Eminem. Uh, let's, let's do go. let's do the next episode. Oh, I love that. that. This is fantastic because uh, you know sometimes I'm on these interviews with folks that aren't as big fans of hip hop and uh, don't have the instrumental to pick for me, but. And this is like the, this is uh, back in, you know, 2013, 2014, Los Angeles Clippers, Lob City. We've got Chris Paul, Tyler here. Yeah. I'm like, how do you do? We've run in full court through the alley oop. And let me see, let me dally 
dilly dally Now I don't wanna be ballyhoo Let me see this, hey I'm tryna try it It's kinda fun when I'm up in here but we don't riot I be at the gym, I was exercising Did it with the trainer, Tyler came with the science Yeah, I'm like I'm the best Hitting up the phones, full cycle rep Yeah, and I ain't trying to stress But it's okay cause I puff out my chest I just say it, uh Young Ding, I spit bars We doing videos with experts at Vidyard Um, and right here, not unruly But I get my notes in order with Dooley I can scale my teams, train my reps with Dooley What rhymes with Dooley? It's Dooley, Dooley, Dooley Yeah, and I'ma give you the answers Um, help the train skills transfer Let me come through and talk with some banter Yeah, Allen Iverson, the answer Elevating the sales profession Teaching a lesson Let me give it to you straight like a confession Yeah and this part is the interlude. Tyler, you're pretty damn good at the interview. Yeah, let me tell you what I did and didn't do and give you the facts so they don't misconstrue. Now we hit on the version two. This the second verse, we in the universe. This the dopest beat on LinkedIn that you heard. Yeah, let me never act like a, hold on, I'm not a nerd, but I'm nervous right now. It's kind of perfect like how you just swerve with the style. Let me do this. Yeah, and I could never refute it. I be in the gym with Tyler to the music and we be dancing. Yeah, and what I meant was that we could get the podcast, knock some sense in these people because we talk about that 20%. And yeah, when you focus on that, you finna win. Let's go. That was fantastic, man. I wish that I had the Larry Long Jr. mic drop right now. I don't. Oh, we got to get the gold mic. <laughs> Shout out to Larry Long Jr., man. Oh, hey. dude, that was so cool. I'm actually going to take that. Literally, I'm going to cut this up and I'm going to post that right on LinkedIn right after this because that, that was phenomenal, man. So as we're wrapping up, I mean, how do you, how do, you do that? practice it's so i've been doing i've been rapping for 15 years so i've built up a lot of muscle memory and synaptic connections that anytime you give me a word so tyler give me a word right now uh let's see uh oh god rock rock jock block stock sock right barack TikTok. Right. And, and so so because I've written so many lyrics in my life and I freestyled so much, as soon as I'm given a, a rhyme, I can instantly you, you saw what I did right there. Right. That was unprompted. Uh, we, I didn't type anything in Zoom chat to you. And I just came up with six rhymes off of one rhyme. So what I do is uh, use those pre memorized word banks in, in every single sound in the English language. I just have associated words that rhyme. So then once I do that, it's it's simply like reverse Legos. You take, hey, here's the end rhymes that I need to do. Or when you give me a list of words, I could see science is at the end exercise science. In my mind, I'm thinking, what rhymes with exercise science, right? Uh, what rhymes with, and, and the way to make it punchy, to tee it up and then, you know, the lob and the jam is that you always want to set up your punchlines. So a lot of people will see the words are like, oh, let me talk about Dooley. Uh, what can I rhyme about Dooley? Now, I, obviously, I had that little entertainment bit there. But like, you know, before you say a word, you rhyme something with skills transfer, you know, you don't start the line with skills transfer, right? It's like spin selling. You know, you get the situation, the problem, that's your that's your setup. And then you get the implication and the need, right? Uh so yeah, Dang, sales that, freestyle. <laughs> dude, that's amazing. You definitely didn't bore us. Ding is the walking thesaurus. You like that? Is that good? That's pretty good, yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the, right the, the walking rhyming dictionary, yeah, oh, virtual. There you, there you go. Oh, I love that, man. Oh, I have to work on my, my rapping skills, but maybe that I'll just hold off. I'll let you do that. Yeah. Now, and and uh, I will say, Tyler, as a salesperson, I think you're going to be a lot more 
prepared to freestyle because the other the other 50 percent is overcoming that fear of the unknown you know taking that step forward not being afraid to fail Wow, that's amazing. And, and the, some of the failure that you had early on, you know, is absolutely setting you up to the mindset that you have today. So that that's phenomenal. Now, final question before uh, we, we wrap up here, a question I ask every single guest on the show, if you were going to teach a college 101 class based upon all of your previous life and work experience, what would you teach and why? Probably freestyling. Uh, as a, you know, so I had a you know, I actually had a course in college. Uh, shout out to Dr. Tim Mangan at Boston College. Uh, but he, you know, he actually taught a course on hip hop in America. And that was my favorite class I've ever taken in my life. Learned so much from it. You know, learn about, uh, you know, be, even beyond just the music side, right? Like what are the cultural influences? What are the, the socio-political uh, and economic ramifications and, and context for the art form? So I think that's something. And then, you know, from a corporate uh, training seminar. Actually, I do work with teams, you know, with uh, freestyle workshops, like, hey, how to overcome you know, some of the fear of the phones. And uh, so, so maybe along that, that line of things, I could see, uh, you know, a couple companies have actually hit me up to do kickoffs, where I was getting in front of their sales teams and freestyling and showing them like this, uh, you know, how to how to tap in, I guess, into the, the creative being in the moment, you know, Wow, that's amazing. And I'm sure it's it's a skill. Um, you know, obviously, I'm not a rapper, but obviously podcasting is a skill as well that takes over time. And uh, I completely understand when you get into that zone and, and being able to help and share other people is really re rewarding. So thank you so much, Ding. This has been fantastic. Where could people learn more about you and everything you have going on? Absolutely. The website is salesrap.io. And, you know, we're a full service creative agency. If you want to be a little more human in your outreach. Have some entertainment, sellertainment, right? As to, to quote the great Tyler Lissard. Oh yeah. Uh, it, you know, capture you know on the account based level for top of funnel for your video content. Uh, the crux here isn't necessarily it's like, hey, how do we do this creative? It's how can we get creative that's aligned to your business, that's aligned to the problems that you solve. You're not just going out there on Fiverr and you're hiring someone that, you know, hey, this is this is the creative brief, and blah, blah. No, we want to work with your sales team, you know, and, and talk uh, and, and even listen to the calls. See what the, the customers are thinking so we can personalize the creative to actually fit what the market is feeling. Absolutely. And, and that is sales 101 as well. So that's awesome that you're using this in your marketing uh, job now. Ding, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And if you enjoyed the show, it would mean the absolute world if you went to Apple and rated and reviewed the show for me as well, is this is a fantastic way to help grow the show and help to bring in fantastic guests and even more listeners to our tribe. So stay tuned for next episode and have a fantastic rest of your day.